Hi, everyone, and welcome to this What You Talking About Willis podcast. My name is Henry Willis, and I'm the Head of Humanities and Politics here at Halebury College in Melbourne, Victoria. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things international relations, making connections between current world events and the VCE Global Politics curriculum. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, the 9th of August, and welcome to another episode of What You're Talking About. Willis, in our last week's episode, we spent time focusing on the responses and challenges associated with resolving the armed conflict in Syria. Today, we're going to focus on key aspects, which are three key concepts or ideas which you must be able to define and explain in relation to your respective global crisis. And so in your state design, you will see these listed specifically that the following key aspects need to be analysed and understood. And those key aspects in relation to armed conflict are intervention, war as an instrument of state policy, and prosecuting war crimes. And so in a general sense, these uh, concepts need to be defined and explained in detail. Um, They are often also linked to other areas of the study design. So common questions might include things like explain how one of the following key aspects challenge the effective resolution of a crisis. So linking key aspects with challenges. Um, It might be the importance or the difficulties of these key aspects. So you, you need to sort of be able to sort of understand the term and apply them to whatever context is appropriate. So let's start with intervention. Um, At a very basic level, I encourage you to always start these responses with a very clear definition of what this key aspect entails. And so typically speaking, intervention refers to a state's use of either military force, aid, or any kind of international sanctions to either end human rights violations or conflict in another state. And so that's sort of the core definition of what intervention is. If we're going to describe examples in intervention, the easiest thing for you to do is to reflect uh, reflect on examples uh, of responses that you've looked at. So, for example, you've looked at UN Resolution 2118, which is the example of crisis diplomacy that was discussed last week. And this might be considered a form of diplomatic intervention by the international community done in order to address the uh, escalation of the conflict in Syria um, as a result of increased chemical weapons. Uh, The Caesar Act, your example of unilateral sanctions, is a form of economic intervention whereby um, the American government is working in a more uh, unilateral way to pressure the regime into de-escalating the conflict. Um, You could also refer to other examples. There are cases of military intervention in Syria. Um, We are currently seeing many US airstrikes against Iranian militias in Syria, um, which is a a different kind of military intervention for the sake of US national security. We've also seen military intervention take place in opposition to Assad's chemical weapons use in 2018, where America and its allies bombed a number of key sites, uh, strategic sites in Syria. And so again, uh, intervention can be seen as a form of sort of war tax, um, whereby if you do the wrong thing, if you use chemical weapons or you commit human rights abuses, um, there's some sort of cost associated with that particular offense. So it's designed to uh, discourage the, the use of further atrocities, etc. 
Um, so that's how the sort of the notion of intervention applies to Syria. Um, the problem with intervention, of course, relates back to that ethical debate, which we have already discussed in the previous area of study, whether states have their sort of responsibility to protect rights and end conflict in other countries or whether things like sovereignty um, really ultimately should be protected and Syria really provides examples of both perspectives being valid um, certainly uh, there have been examples of intervention occur which have been designed to condemn Assad's um, illegitimate and sort of poor conduct and so that could arguably be necessary from a sort of human rights uh, perspective. But then the opposing, opposing view would be that such intervention only serves to exacerbate conflict um, by violating state sovereignty and contributing to the conditions of instability. And so if we look at, say, something like intervention in the form of economic sanctions, um, some would argue that that is going to create worsening economic conditions inside of Syria, which will only promote things like extremism and violence. Um, there's also significant violations of state sovereignty. Consider um, we only need to refer to our UN uh, articles um, to be reminded of the fact that states um, technically do not have the right to interfere in the domestic affairs of other states. And so that often is a perspective which some people may um, explore. Um, ultimately, um, intervention is a complex and complicated uh, aspect of the Syrian crisis. Um, many would argue that it's something that should be done, but should only be done in a coordinated fashion. Um, one of the major complexities of Syria is that intervention has occurred in so many different ways from different global actors um, that in many cases, those acts of intervention only serve to undermine other actions. And so this really highlights the, the complexity of intervention in a conflict, um, both its necessity and its importance, um, as well as how it actually could become a challenge to effectively resolving a crisis, um, particularly if there are too many people intervening, um, particularly with their own self-interest in mind. And so this may exacerbate the conflict um, and certainly create conditions inside a state that sort of worsen the, the chances of extremism and further violence. So the second key aspect that you need to have an understanding of is war as an issue of state policy. So again, like with the first aspect, if you get a question on this, you need to be able to define what that is. And so by definition, war as an instrument of state policy views the act of warfare as a legitimate foreign policy tool that can be implemented uh, just like any form of economic or diplomatic coercion to achieve a state's goals and objectives. Uh, the problem with viewing war as an instrument of state policy is, is that it often then is used to justify um, a whole range of actions that might exacerbate or prolong conflict. And Russia provides a really good example of this in relation to Syria. Uh, so as we probably know by now, Russia has significant interests in the Syrian state. Um, it may profit economically from the war, for example. We already know that Syria has uh, spent almost $7 billion on Russian arms. Um, which is a clear link between war and profit for the Russian government. Um, we know that Russia has access to a range of commercial opportunities. Um, they've recently signed a $90 million deal to explore for oil in Syria waters. Um, and they've also um, signed contracts to help rebuild Syria in the aftermath of the war, which is uh, both beneficial for Russia and hugely ironic, considering that Russia was the one essentially funding this destruction to occur in the first place. And so what we see here is potentially an example of war profiteering. Um, Russia 
sees the war as something which will generate income and strategic and economic opportunities within the state of Syria. And so as a result, the incentive to end the conflict diminishes. Why would Russia want to end the conflict if the conflict is creating all sorts of favorable conditions for the Russian state? And so that is a particularly cynical and cold view of why this war is being fought or why states intervene in wars. But nonetheless, it does demonstrate how as a key aspect of conflict, when war is viewed as a legitimate policy instrument, it can certainly be used to justify a whole range of actions that may prolong conflict and ultimately um, lead to state interests being achieved at the expense of human suffering, particularly that of the Syrian people, who, as we know, um, have been widely displaced and, and uh, persecuted as a result of this conflict. And so that absolutely is how war as an instrument of state policy not only relates to Syria, uh, but is also arguably a major challenge to its effective resolution. Um, that's just the Russian example as well. Um, we could certainly look at other actors like Iran, and explain how they are using this war in order to achieve their sectarian goals in the region by pushing back against rival Sunni factions. We could look at Turkey um, and how they are using the war in an attempt to try and drive out the Kurds from uh, its border territories. So again, we see people participating in warfare, um, profiting war from warfare for the sake of their own foreign policy or domestic policy interests, which um, obviously is uh, might be good for those individual states, but is certainly not good for the Syrian people who are stuck in the middle of all this. Your last key aspect that you have to address for armed conflict is the prosecution of war crimes in international law. So again, um, as a definition or how this process occurs, um, it's important to try and overlap as much content as you can. So we've already studied the International Criminal Court and we know that this is one of the chief mechanisms to prosecute individuals who are responsible for things like war crimes, crimes of aggression, crimes against humanity and genocide. And we also know that the authority to prosecute war is established in the Rome Statute of the Court, which has 123 state parties. So that essentially gives the ICC its jurisdiction to pursue offenders of those particular crimes. Uh, in relation to Syria, this has been problematic for several reasons. Um, firstly, the Syrian government is not a member of the Rome Statute, which means that the court may lack the legal authority to actually pursue him as a war criminal. Um, and when that action has been pursued in 2014, um, the UN Security Council drafted a resolution that referred Assad to the International Criminal Court based on overwhelming evidence uh, of war crimes. Um, the resolution was widely supported by countries in the General Assembly, but like so many UN Security Council resolutions, it failed to pass because of the veto power wielded by both Russia and China. Uh, so again, attempts to prosecute war crimes in Syria have been significantly limited as a result of the veto, another major challenge to the effective resolution of this crisis, um, and a lack of international cooperation with Russia and China again, protecting their ally and pursuing their own interests at the expense of a broader international peace. In saying that, while prosecuting war crimes in the Syrian context has been particularly ineffective for the reasons that we've just described, um, there is an interesting case from earlier in 2021 when a German court convicted an alleged Syrian intelligence officer 
for crimes against humanity uh, perpetrated in Syria, um, which is interesting. This particular individual fled Syria, um, but was a former member of the Assad intelligence services and was discovered in Germany and then prosecuted in Germany under their own domestic laws, which is very interesting. Um, it's an interesting way of achieving justice in this context without sort of perhaps serving it in an international capacity. Um, that marked the first prosecution for torture by suspected members of the government security services uh, and could set a benchmark for future cases to be brought in domestic settings against um, leaders or individuals who perhaps eventually flee um, governments wanted for war crimes like that of the Assad regime. So uh, these key aspects uh, hopefully are a little bit clearer to you all now. Um, just a reminder that it's important that you define clearly what these key terms or concepts are to begin with. And then you're gonna make that very explicit link to your particular arms uh, conflict. So you will say things like, uh, this is relevant to the armed conflict in Syria because, and then use evidence to demonstrate how intervention has occurred and perhaps why it's problematic or why it's been beneficial. Um, again, you know, looking at war as an instrument of state policy in relation to the armed conflict in Syria. In the armed conflict in Syria, we see this through the actions of Russia. We see this through the actions of Iran and it's problematic because it results in A, B and C. So uh, describing that aspect in the crisis. So where do we see it? And then explaining its importance, I think is the best way to look at it. So why is this key aspect important? Is it important because it undermines effective resolutions, um, because there's opportunities to achieve effective resolutions through that uh, intervention or through prosecuting war crimes? Um, you know, these are all the sort of complexities that you need to be able to articulate in these kind of key aspect questions. And don't forget to link them specifically to other areas, particularly things like challenges. Okay, that's probably enough from me for the moment. Uh, thanks for tuning in again and join us next episode where we're going to start talking more about terrorism um, and its causes and key context. All right, everyone, have a great day. Chat to you soon.